Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, those who seek a Joel, I mean, are those who are serious about, you know, taking every risk involved, every investment. Have you ever gone to a gold mine before? You know, there, there was a video that was trending this week about some Africans that were trapped in a gold mine somewhere in Africa. I don't know which country exactly. Congo, right? And then I could see, you know, the sacrifice that some people were making to bring them out of the, the mine. And what was coming to my mind is the, the, the risks they took to enter that place. Some of us come from places where mining activities are happening. And you know the risks they take to get into until they get that precious jewel they're looking for. They don't give up. Hallelujah. So also when we come to scriptures, a scripture is more than a jewel. Amen? It's more than what gold can buy. It's more than what money can buy. It's what friendship cannot purchase. It's, the Bible says imperishable. In First Peter, when, when, when he was writing about what Christ has achieved for us, he ascribed it or described it as something that is imperishable. Something that cannot be changed with time. We're hearing about how the dollar is going to do this, is going to do that. Amen? But what we have or what we've, we've received or what we already have is more precious, is more stable, is constant than gold. Hallelujah. So we have a responsibility to value that which we have. So these previous two Sundays before the break we took, where we had Pastor Chinto come to bless us throughout the week, and of course, our own very, you know, father in the house came from France to come and bless us as well last week. I've been taking us through a teaching, setting the mind on the things of the spirit from the team of the year. You know, we're talking about, for those that are new today, you know, the team for the year is life in the Holy Spirit. And then we are taking a teaching on setting the mind on the things of the spirit, particularly from Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. And a lot of stuff has happened in the course of those teachings. I will say, I've touched some very sensitive areas in those two weeks that I know that some people have really, some have met me and said, Pastor, I did not understand this thing, which is honest, right? And one thing that I can tell you is that in this house, we are committed to, to teaching the truth. Hallelujah. You know, you cannot learn. Let me begin by saying this, that you cannot read the Bible for yourself. Am I contradicting a philosophy you have? You cannot read the Bible for yourself. You know, we used to say, oh, go and read the Bible for yourself and know God for yourself. No. Hallelujah. You cannot read the Bible for yourself and understand it. You must be taught. Amen. Tell your neighbor you must be taught. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 8 verse 30. Can you give me scriptures as well? Acts chapter 8 verse 30 to 35. Let me show you an example in scriptures. Before we just move into what I have for today. Acts chapter 8 verse 30. So Philip ran to him and had him reading the prophet Isaiah. That is the Ethiopian Enoch. The first African convert. Hallelujah. So it was not Europeans that brought Christianity to Africa. If you are looking for reference, this is the first 
African convert in, recorded in scriptures. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Amen? Some of us, we read the Bible, but we don't really understand it. So without understanding, we run. We run with ignorance. Verse 31. And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? Some translation will say, unless someone teach me. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot in his uh, Lamborghini. The place in the, in the scripture which he, was, was, which he read was this, Isaiah, right? He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he opened up his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the Enoch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophecy say this? Of himself or of some other man? You see, the Enoch is very educated. The Enoch is very influential. The Enoch is, is, is in his you know, generation, he will be one of the most topmost. He was the head of the treasury of the Ethiopian Empire, something like that, if I'm right. So the Enoch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say? That which means that the things of scriptures. I cannot be, we told in the, in the, in the, meet, in the cell meetings that they can, you can't understand Christ by, by flesh, sense, knowledge, right? You can't even know yourself by, by senses. We know no man according to the flesh, right? It's by revelation. We know Christ by revelation. We know the word of God by revelation. So unless it's revealed to you, you cannot know. Hallelujah. So, the most intelligent man on earth can read the Bible, and what he will see is just stories and contradictions and anything that he wants to see in it. But there must be a revelation to you. It is given the secrets of the kingdom to understand. Because we are in Christ and we have the spirit of God. Hallelujah. We have the spirit of revelation. And he asks you, of whom does the prophet say? At this moment, this man is not born again. Of himself or of the other man? Then Philip, look at what Philip did. What did Philip do? Open his mouth and beginning at this scripture from that Isaiah. So the book of Isaiah is what? It's about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So the prophet actually in Isaiah was prophesying about someone, about Christ. So he opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Hallelujah. He preached who? Jesus. Did he preach Isaiah to him? Who did he preach? Jesus. Hallelujah. The next verse, verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to, water, to some water, and the Enoch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? So it means that he came to a place of understanding of, you know, the teaching of what? Of Philip. He needed someone to teach him. Hallelujah. So you cannot understand. There's, there's a specific, you see, the scripture has a specific interpretation. We always make this emphasis here. There are no many interpretations of the scriptures. There's one. Hallelujah. And that one interpretation is what? Is Christ. So don't say, oh, you know, what the scripture mean to me. We don't care about what the scripture mean to you. What, what we want to know is what the scripture meant when it was written. Why it was written and for what it was written. From time immemorial, the same message so the scripture cannot minister one thing to you and different to me. 
The applications will vary, obviously. Amen? But it is one message. Hallelujah. So, the Ethiopian Enoch needed a man to teach him. Luke chapter 2, verse 46. We see even Jesus, your Lord, needed teachers to teach him. Your Lord, the Savior of the world, came for as many of us as were in the conference that held throughout the last two weeks, like two weeks ago. You know, Pastor taught us about the, the ministry of, lay, of Mary to Jesus when he was a baby, right? So you see here, Luke chapter 2, verse 46. We see where Jesus Christ was in the temple. And he was there in the temple asking questions. Do we have that? Luke chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. Quickly. Now, as they went down the road, 46. 46, yes. Two forty-six. Luke two forty-six. I have to get that and read so that we can follow. Yes. Now, so it was after three days they found him in a temple. Look at what Jesus was doing, sitting in the midst of the teachers. What was he doing? Both listening. Amen? Not doing any other thing but listening to them. And what was he doing? Was asking them questions. 47. And also, those who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So it simply means that Jesus was asking questions. He was answering questions. He was listening. He was making investigations. Isn't it? So, who are you that will know the scriptures without somebody teaching you? Right? And then, God gave us men as gifts. The Bible says it in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 15, that he gave us men for what? For the edification of the body, until we all come to the full knowledge of the Son of God. So, we will be tossed to and fro from every wind of doctrine. So the Holy Spirit has his role in our lives, but men, particularly teachers of the world, have a role to play in our lives in teaching us the scriptures. And as a matter of fact, you know, in this house, we've made it as a vow, as the pastors, that we will not shun from teaching you the word of God, anything that will benefit you. So sometimes it may not necessarily you know, give me Acts of the 20, verse 27, where Paul was telling them. Acts 20, 27. Sometimes the things we will tell you may not align properly with your understanding. It may revoke some of the things you've learned over the years. It may stand against maybe some things that have been established. Then it's an opportunity for you to look into it deeply. Amen. Paul says, for I have not shown to declare to you the whole counsel, the whole counsel of God's word, and that is our commitment in this house, that we will be committed to doing what? To teaching you the whole counsel of God's word. And I've had reports that in the course of the teaching, some people are saying, these things are hard teachings. Who can bear them? I understand. 
Amen. Who shall, eh? John chapter 6, right? John chapter 6, verse 59, right about. John chapter 6, verse 59. Jesus experienced the same thing when he was teaching them. Yes. These things he said in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Quickly. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and their word and their life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who will betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples, what did they do? They left the ministry because it's no longer bread and butter. It's no longer fish. We came here thinking that this man will give us some fish and bread to eat, to perform some magic for us to see, some miracles, some healings of the leg. And he's coming here, he's telling us, you know what he was telling them here? You must eat the f my flesh and drink my blood. How, how can he be teaching us this kind of hard teachings? How can you say we should drink your blood and eat your flesh? Is he mad? From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. They abandoned him and they went away. 67. Then Jesus said to the 12, now, there's a difference between the crowd and the 12. Amen? So, many are called, but what? But few are choosing. The call is for everybody. But everybody will determine whether he will be the chosen one or not. Hallelujah. Now, he said to them, do you also want to betray me? Do you also want to go away? Do you also want to go? And let's look at one smart answer someone gave. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Of eternal life. Hallelujah. So we sang earlier on about your word like a jewel, you know, seeking you like a precious jewel. And for me to give up, I have a craze. I don't craze with that. That's what it means. For me to give up this Joel that I've come to know, I've come to learn, is to mean that I'm stupid. I don't know what was the motivation of the writer of that song. Amen? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal. I've given the last verse, 69 there. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Of the living God. Hallelujah. Now I trust that this will be somebody's testimony here. That you will persist until you know the truth. Hallelujah. So whatever we teach here is to the goal that you go back and you study. Hallelujah. So what we are giving you, we are giving you study materials. When we come to church, what we do is that we give you a curriculum for study. So when you go back, you begin to investigate what you've been taught. Don't be a lazy Christian. 
come to me and say, Pastor, this thing you are teaching is this. First of all, I want to ask you, do you go back to study? Do they listen to it again? If you've not studied, don't come and ask me a question. Hallelujah. Because we're not here to, to push food down your throat by force. Right? You have to learn, you know, learn to be an expert in the scriptures. How will you apply what you don't understand? So, I trust that this will be our habit in this church. In Jesus' name. How do I use this? Okay. Hallelujah. So, let's have a recap. For us to set our minds on the things of the spirit, we must know the mind of man. What the mind of man is. And that and what the spirit is, we must examine the nature of man. And that was what we tried to do. You know, talking about, you know, um, setting our mind on the things of the spirit. Now, to understand the nature of man, we said it is important. We go to the beginning of all things to understand the man as God created him from the beginning. Now, I'm going to go as slow as possible. I've been warned by people here that I should be slow and take it. See, I brought slides because I want you to see what I taught the first Sunday with slides. Amen? I'm repeating it again. Hallelujah. So for us to live the life of the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, we must understand what it means to be born up from above, right? Which means to be born again. To be born from another sphere. To be born from another realm. That's what it means. Because the life in the Spirit is a life from above. Therefore, we are called to live from where? From above. So this is the background of what brought us to what we're teaching. Amen. So, controversies. The controversies we've had in the course of the previous teaching. First of all, we look at the nature of man. We ask the question, was man created in the image of God? And this rose a lot of dust in the air, which we tried to answer it. But there was no clarity, so it is very important that we go back to it. If we don't understand these basic things, we can't go further. Hallelujah. We can't go further, right? Secondly, we ask, the fall of Adam, what really was the sin of man? He ate an apple. I don't know whether we saw apple in the Bible anyway. But we assume that he ate an apple and he became sinful. So what really was the sin of man? Is the sin of Adam automatic, meaning that when Adam sinned, doesn't mean that everybody now becomes sinful. And then we bear the eternal consequences of the sin of Adam. I forgot to say something the last time I taught about, you know, how the sin of Adam affected the universe, the earth. I didn't talk about it, right? Of course, today we can see around and see the consequences of the fall of Adam. In the earth, the earthquake we see, the tsunamis, God did not create all these things. Is because man have shifted from a place of responsibility by disobeying God, and we see even nature is corrupted because of the sin of man. But then, the eternal consequence of the sin of man doesn't mean that when Adam sinned, you become a sinner by the virtue of the sin of Adam. And then there's another one, the star of the controversies that we're looking at maybe next week is one saved, always saved. Can someone lose his salvation? Hallelujah. So, when we demystify these controversies, 
I trust that God will help you to lay a solid foundation in your faith that you will live, you know, with victory in mind. Hallelujah. So the nature of man as was created in the beginning. We read from Genesis chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. So first of all, we're trying to look at the image of man. Was man created in the image of God? Was man created in the image of God? And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion. You see, I underline dominion. I underline image and likeness. Dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air that creepeth upon the earth. And over the cattle, over all the earth, and over everything creeping, creeping, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in what? In his own image. In the image of God. Specifically in the image of God. Created he, him, male and female, he created them. And, you know, I said that the phrase let us speaks of what? Of an intention. When I say let's make food, have we made the food? You can as well go and sleep and say we've made the food, right? But it's still at a planned stage, right? It's, it's an idea. Let us make man. It speaks of an intention. God is stating his plan for man. In verse 26, it refers to humanity. Man does not mean this male. It's talking about humanity as a race. So therefore, God's plan, in God's plan, God wants to make human in his image. The plan of God is to make humanity in his image. That image will be what will make him have what? Dominion. So dominion is a function of man being in the image of God. So if a man is not in the image of God, he doesn't have access to dominion. Hallelujah. Then we ask three questions. We say, okay, what is the image of God? Right? The first man, when he was created, was he created in the image of God? These are questions we ask to investigate. Now, the essence of Bible teaching is to, give, is to bring us to the place of proof. Like we are before a tribunal, right? You must prove your case. Proof from scriptures about the things that are claimed here. So the first man we asked, was he really created in the image of God? And the third question, if you want to add, he says, how do man come into the image of God? How do man become the image of God? So starting from the second question, very intentional. I didn't start from the first one. I started from the second one because it will help guide our thoughts. We see in Genesis 2 verse 7 here, and the Lord God formed man. That was after Genesis 1. We come to Genesis 2 where man was created. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And what did he do? He breathed into his nostril the word, the image of God. The breath of life. So what would be the breath of life? Man was made from the dust, right? He breathed into him, right? And he became alive. So the man became what? The image of God. The man became what? The living soul. Hallelujah. Now, follow this carefully. When God made the first man, he only became a living soul. 
We saw it practically in scriptures. So do we have to make inferences, bring it from anywhere and say, the scripture says he was created in the image of God. What did he say? He became a living soul. Is God a living soul? Mm -mm. Is God a living soul? God is what? God is a spirit, right? So is man, man became a spirit. Man became a living soul, right? That's what the scripture, let's maintain that. Right? Don't go and be bringing scriptures from anywhere. Just keep your focus here. Are we together? So here, the man became a living soul. Not in the image of God. That means Genesis 1.26 has not yet happened in the first man. If we follow the narratives of scriptures from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, we cannot see any way where it has happened. Are we together? So this brings to fore that man created by God doesn't mean that he's in the image, in his image. Based on the evidence we have, are we together? We can see clearly that the scripture did not say that man was created in the image of God. We saw earlier on in Genesis 1, he was saying, let us, which is what? Which is a plan. And we saw when the man was created, we didn't see, they say, okay, the man is in the image of God. So, we ask the question, that is the third question that we ask earlier on. So, Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. Just to add up to that. And Adam lived an 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So, Adam bore a son in his own likeness and his image, not that of God. Are we together? So, the image of God is, is what? So, the, so, image of God, no image of God rather is seen, right? In the, the seed that Adam gave birth to. Are we together? Genesis 5 means that Genesis 2 and 3 and 4 has happened. Man has fallen. So, what man will give birth is not in the image of God. We didn't even see it appear here, right? Why? Because of Genesis 2 and 3. Genesis 2 verse 8 to 9. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in, the Eden, in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we notice here that there are just two trees. I put this as a caution. Don't import any idea. Every tree here, you see, uh, what is this? Which punctuation is this? Semicolon. People that know English. It means that the further explanation is given in the next word, in the next line, right? Help me. I don't know very much of English. So, if there is a semicolon, Every if full stop and comma and their placement in scripture is very important. It gives meaning and context to scriptures. So don't be reading scriptures and overlooking the punctuations. They are not there for decoration. Hallelujah. So it says everything that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, meaning the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These are the two trees that were in the garden. Hallelujah. So the fall of Adam, 2 verse 16, Genesis. And the Lord God did what? Commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, thou mayest, does what? Freely eat. Free will. Freely thou mayest eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. 
of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, you shall surely die. So if there are only two trees, God gave an instruction not to eat of one and eat of the other. The tree of life and what? And the tree that leads to life, right? Tree of life, which leads to life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, which leads to death. It is important to note here, Moses, the mode of communication here, Moses is communicating God's plan, adopting a figure of speech. I say this intentionally and slowly. Moses was communicating the plan of God, adopting a figure of speech, a mode of communication. Because the Bible is a literature. I don't want to go into that. To communicate God's promise of life to the world and the consequence of not choosing life, which is what? Which is death. Since it is an allegory, this is another big word. Um, what's an allegory? The picture. Okay. Since it is an, since it is a picture, we must ask, what did Moses mean by it? Right. Since it is, it is a figure of speech. It's a picture. So, what does Moses mean by the day you eat? You shall surely die. And then we went on to talk about what is what it means to eat off. And for us to understand the Old Testament scriptures, okay, we go to the New Testament scriptures to see the explanation of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, if you read your Bible and you remain in the Old Testament, you will never understand comprehensively the revelation of God. I use the word comprehensively. Amen? So don't say, oh, you know, the Old Testament scriptures are not important. How can you say, all, okay, the New Testament scriptures are actually an exposition of the Old Testament. So how can you go and read the solution or the exposition of a book that you didn't read? So both the Old Testament and the New Testament are what? Are together. They are all scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures are prophecies. And we see the fulfillment in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see the apostles interpreted everything for us in the epistles. That is how you read your scriptures. That's how you read the Bible. Hallelujah. So, let's go to the interpretation of what it means to eat off. The, the, the phrase, eat off, to help us understand what happened in the Garden of Eden. So, Jesus gives us a lead on that. In looking at these words, eat off. We need to see what Jesus said in Matthew 15 and John 6. Matthew chapter 15, verse 16. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not yet ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth going into the belly and is cast out into the toilet. But those things which proceed out of the mouth comes forth from the heart. And they defile the man. So what defiles a man? What he eats from his mouth? Defilement comes from where? From within. Amen? Sin comes from what? From within. Please, look around. If your neighbor is sleeping, tap him. Say, please, listen to this thing so that you will not disgrace his family. Amen? You know, when we start teaching things like this, that is not, you make it in Jesus' name. Amen? People will start like this, and they will be, um, they'll go and be misfiring tomorrow. So please, be your brothers and your sisters' keeper and help, right? You must learn these things, understand it, believe it, practice it, and teach it. 
to the end that every one of you must be a proficient teacher of the word. That is the essence of church. It's not for motivation. It's for training men to become what? Teachers of the word. That's why you came here. You can see it there. That's what we're doing here. Hallelujah. So, but of those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but not but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. So it simply means that the defilement of man does not come from what he eats and what he does externally, but from within. Establish, so is eating fruit, apple to be precise. Made Adam sin. Then all of you, the apple you've been eating. So Jesus explains that whatever a man eats enters his belly and goes to where? To the other room, right? Jesus will explain further that eating does not defile a man. However, man, what, what defiles a man is what proceeds from, from his mouth, which comes from where? From his heart. This explanation takes down the idea that Adam ate a fruit, and eating the fruit, he sinned against God. Amen? So Moses was communicating something spiritual, using something physical that people could comprehend. Because these men were not born again. So the only thing you can do is use practical example for them to understand the plan of God. Hallelujah. So, remember that Moses will be presenting God's plan in his writing in what? I use the word types and shadows in examples. You know, for example, this, let's say, you know, you know they used to do an illustration in church. For example, let's say you are, this, you are Satan. They want to do illustration. You see, we do it here. You say, oh, you, you are Satan, you, you are God. That is an illustration, right? We are not saying the person is Satan. Are we together? So Moses was using all these types, these shadows, these symbols to communicate an idea. All right. Let's see in John. John chapter 6, verse 32 to 33. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Now, he's making reference to manna that they ate in the wilderness. So, what does that manna mean? Based on this, just this verse, is symbolizing Jesus Christ. Are we together? It's a symbol. That's why we say it's what? It's types and shadows. Right? So, Jesus explains that he is a true bread. What they ate there was not the true bread. Jesus is a true bread. True here does not mean that there is a fake bread. It means that he is a perfect bread. Are we together? Good. So the next verse, 36, 35, 36 says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. See, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. When he was talking, did they now see him turn into bread? What mode of communication was Jesus using? Metaphor? Right? Metaphor? This literature, we're talking about it. Metaphor, right? So Jesus is not physically bread. He's meaning that he is the bread of life, which means if you eat him, you will have life. Are we together? 
So Jesus explains here that he is a true bread and anyone that eats him out of this true bread will never hunger. And I can guarantee that this hunger is not talking about physical hunger. It's a spiritual hunger that comes within the soul of man. Hallelujah. So verse 35 and 36, he introduced the word belief. So not the word belief, belief. The person who believes in him shall never hunger. If you believe in food, will you hunger? You hunger. Do you, now, do you, how many of us, you, believe, you cook food, you believe in food, right? You just believe in food and you are satisfied. So what will believe means, or what will that food, what will that hunger mean? It's not something material, right? So when you come to Bible, don't be reading Bible like someone that is daft. Be thinking, God gave you a brain to use it. So when you come to reading the Bible, don't suspend your brain. Are we together? The Bible is sensible. And it's people that are sensible that can understand it. So don't suspend your brain and look for revelation. Revelation will not bypass your understanding. Amen? I don't want to insult somebody here. But if you feel insulted, glory be to God. And this will... This will of him that sent, uh, and this is he, the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So here, he used the word believe again to explain that anyone that believes will receive everlasting life. Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And I am that bread of life. You see, he's making emphasis on him being the bread of life. Are we together? Good. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. They saw manna fall from heaven. They ate. They didn't cook. I was just imagine. So you mean God was feeding these guys free of charge, free lunch, free dinner. They were not paying throughout their stay in the wilderness. And Jesus is saying he is that bread that they ate in the wilderness that is free. Salvation is free. Are we together? You don't need to pay. It's free. Hallelujah. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat, you see the word eat appears here, right? Eat of this bread. So Jesus is saying that they should eat of this bread. Who is the bread of life? Jesus is the bread of life. So Jesus is saying that they should eat him and they will have life. So are we literally going to kill Jesus and eat him physically? So we are using our sense to know that Jesus is talking about metaphor. It's a metaphor. He's using a figure of speech to communicate a truth. Right? You, you shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is what? Now it's getting more interesting here. Says the bread that I will give is what? Is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. <laughs> Even if it's me, I will complain. So you mean we're going to eat your flesh and we'll have everlasting life. Jesus says that he is the living bread, and anyone who eats of the bread will have everlasting life. And the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can this man walk up and say, ah, you know, you can eat my flesh. How possible is it? What did they lack? They suspended their senses, right? And they couldn't see what he was teaching. These folks got it all wrong. They thought Jesus was talking about eating his, his body, his physical body. Then Jesus said to them, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man. He was very emphatic. Verily, verily means surely, I assure you, I assure you. <laughs> Similar. Nigerians know that word, right? They assure you and you were assured indeed. Verily, verily, I said unto you, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and then he added, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Who's eateth, whoso eateth, I'm deliberately using this English, it's not my resting place, but I, I must use this one. It's intentional, because I carry what I want. Right? So, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. So, you cannot have eternal life without eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood. So, if you are here and you have eternal life, it means that you've eaten the flesh of Jesus and you've drank, you've drank his blood. Hallelujah. Amen. So, are you a witch? <laughs> Amen. All right. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed. He's emphasizing my flesh is what? Is meat indeed. And my blood is what? Is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. So the only way you can come into union with him is that you must eat that flesh and drink that blood. That's the only way. As a living, as uh, am I in the right place? Yes. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. So your sustenance is dependent on your eating and the drinking of the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. What will Moses be talking about eating the fruit? Just keep that at the back of your mind. This is what the bread. Okay, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did, ate manna. He's comparing eating his flesh with eating manna in the wilderness, right? And they are dead, physically dead. Because say if you eat, you live forever. But they ate physical manna and they are dead. So he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So he can never be talking about something physical. Is a spiritual truth is communicating. Hallelujah. When Jesus knew, okay, when Jesus knew in himself that these disciples murmured, and that was what many people were murmuring, at it, he said to them, Does this offend you? We read this, right? What if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that do what? That quicken it. It is what? It is a spirit that what? The quicken it. The flesh profiteth nothing. The word that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But they are some of you who that believeth not. The word I spoke to you, they are, they are what? They are spirit and they are life. Right? But there are some of you that believeth not. That believe not. Many of them did not believe. Jesus will explain eating his flesh and drinking his blood. His blood is believing in him. Believing in his works. Believing in all that he has come to achieve and accomplish for the salvation of man to have eternal life. So when you hear the word eat off as used in that place, right? 
is symbolic to what Jesus is explaining here. It means to do what? To believe in him. Are we together? So what will have happened in Genesis 3? It was a message that was contained in the fruit that was given for the, of the eternal existence of man. So since the scripture teaches it as regard to believing, don't mind my English, Moses also is, in his writing Genesis 2, will use it, Genesis 3, I think it's Genesis 3, yes, will use it, 2 and 3 rather, as to refer to what belief. So what was Adam to believe? He was to believe in God's plan for man, right? The promise of life. Adam believing in that will come into God's image. So we come into God's image by what? By what? Not by eating, but by believing. Not by being born, but by believing. Because there was freely given to you. Don't take away the place of free will. It says, freely you can eat of every tree but one. So, man comes by believing. And then, by believing, he becomes the image of God. God's image is based on his life. But sadly, Adam didn't believe. He rejected God's promise and was found in death. Another image, which is not the image of God. This rejection is what? Is unbelief. That means God's image is come into by what? By faith. Amen? So you, if you want to become the image of God, you come into it by faith. That's what it means. Alright. What is that image? Let's go back to the writings of Paul, the expositions of Paul to help us understand the scriptures in the Old Testament. Paul explains Moses for us. When I say Moses, I'm referring to the first five books, particularly Genesis. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world had blinded their minds, the minds of them which believe not. So when you don't believe, it's as much as your eyes have been blinded, right? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Now, who is Christ here? Who is the image of God should shine on them. So Paul calls Jesus Christ the image of God. So to, let's create man in the image and the likeness of God. So who is the image of God based on this exposition here? Jesus Christ is what? Is the image of God. Are we together? Jesus Christ is what? Is the image of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. In whom we have redemption through his word, his blood. Blood, 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 blood. Even the forgiveness of our sins. Who is the image of the invisible God? So who is the image of the invisible God? Jesus. The firstborn of every creation. By him all things were made. That is Genesis conversation, right? Through him all things were made. That is Genesis. So Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. So Genesis 1.26 All right? So, Genesis 1.26. Is it Adam? Is who? Is who? Jesus, right? Okay. Are the proof not enough? 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews had in this last day spoken unto us by his son whom he had appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world. Right? The worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and what? And the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself Touch our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is called the what? The express image of his person. So if God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. He has to what? Eat Jesus, right? To become the image of God. Hence... When God said, let us make man in our image and likeness, God was stating his intention for man to be found in Christ, his son, the image of God. God's plan was for man to be in his image, to be in Christ. That is, God wanted man to have everlasting life. What was presented to Adam for him to believe was the gospel, which is the life of God. This is typified as the tree of life in Genesis. Particularly chapter 2 and chapter 3. Adam, on the other hand, showed unbelief towards the message. Therefore, the tree of life was figurative expression or an explanation of God's plan of life in Christ for man, of which Adam rejected as an act of his will. Remember, he said, you freely, right? So he exercised his will to act in unbelief, therefore not becoming that which God wants him to become. Remember I said, becoming the image of God is by faith. It's not by eating, and it's not by you just being born biologically. So Adam's sin was unbelief in what God told him. Adam disbelieved God, right? Not a behavioral misconduct. Amen? So his sin, sin is not a behavioral misconduct. You steal, that is sin. You cheat, you, you sleep around, that is sin. It's not behavioral. It's an image issue. They give back to all those conducts. Are we together? So, his sin was not the eating of a fruit. But it was something that is inside. He rejected life. The tree of, the tree of life. Not to eat of the tree of life. Is to reject what God said. He is offering of life. Hence, Genesis 1.26 didn't come to pass in the life of this Adam. That was created in Genesis chapter 2. Amen? Mary, do you understand? Do you understand? Alright, I call your name because I had your complaint. Good. So, did God ever fulfill that promise? Yes. And how? After man fell, God became a man. Right? Jesus Christ. Paul called him the last. Hey, this place is. Pay attention to this place. Jesus called him the last. Rather, Paul calls him the last Adam, the second Adam. Now, carefully, and the word, John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That means that God became man for the salvation of man. Amen? Good. So, in First Corinthians, let's look at what Paul said. 
1 Corinthians 15, 45, 47. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. Where is he talking about here? Genesis. We saw that in Genesis, right? The first Adam became what? Living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. So is God a living soul or God is a spirit? So if God is a spirit, who is the image of God in the, these two Adams? The second Adam, right? Who is, who is Christ? There's quickening spirit. Is it making sense? Does it make sense to you? Right? If it doesn't make sense, think over it until it makes sense. Sila. Sila. So, 46, how bad was not first, which is spiritual? Hey, the first Adam was not spiritual. Amen? But that which is what is natural. So that God is spirit. So that first Adam was not what was not was not was not spirit. It was not the image of God. And after that, which is spiritual, after the first that is natural, so the second was what was spirit, right? Spiritual. That is the second Adam was spiritual. The first man is of the earth, is of the earthly. The second was, the second man is what. Is the Lord from where? That is what makes him the image. Amen? Because no one has seen God. No one has seen God. If they say they see God, what they saw is Jesus. He's the express image of the Father. Hallelujah. So Paul says this last Adam, he is a quickening spirit. He is a Lord from heaven. That means he being the last Adam. He will begin a new kind of humanity. One in which anyone who believes takes on the image of God. The image of the Son of God. Right? So you believe to become the image of God. Amen. So Paul put it like this. Romans 5.19 For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Many was intentional. They would have put all, but they put many. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by one, so by the obedience of one shall all, no, many, conditional. Because you have to believe. Amen? It's making sense, huh? All right. So the obedience of Christ... Makes many righteous by faith. When we believe, we come into God's image and likeness. We become like Christ in character and in what? And in nature. Are we together? In character and what? And in nature. When you believe. First, Genesis 1, 26, 28 is fulfilled in who? In Christ, the last Adam. The one that gives us his nature by faith. And from there, we walk in what? In dominion. Hallelujah. Male and female in Genesis now will be male and female where? In Christ. Humanity in Christ. The last Adam. The new creation today and forever. Found in God's glorious image and likeness. Amen? If you don't get it, pray about it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can we rise and pray? Let's rise, let's rise, let's rise.